Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Well, good morning and welcome. I just want to say happy Mother's Day to all those mothers out here. And I know it's going to be busy and kind of a weird Mother's Day this year, but please lift up. I ask the Lord that I might grow. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace my more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face twas he who taught me thus to pray and he i trust has answered prayer but it has been in such a way has almost drove me to despair i hope that in some favored hour at once he Sir, my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden Fills of my heart and let the angry power of hell assault my soul in every part yea more with his own hand he sings intent to act Gravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I scheme, humbled my heart and lay me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cry, wilt thou pursue? thy worm to death tis in this way the lord replied i answer prayer for grace and faith these inward trials i employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me these inward trials 
idols I employ From self to pride To set thee free And break thy schemes of earthly joy That thou mayst find Thine all in me and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thine all in me. Well, good morning, OVBC family and friends, and happy Mother's Day. Thank you for joining us once again as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. We are going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, once again, verses 1 through 13. It is written is the title. You know, I asked the Lord that I might grow is one of my favorite songs. And the first time I heard it was at a pastor's conference several years ago. And frankly, I was just singing along without thinking of the words as we're prone to do many, many times. Eventually, though, my mind began to focus on the words. And it started to convict me as this was a prayer that I had prayed many times before. There in the middle of nearly 4,000 other pastors, I sat down and began to just read the powerful words and their meaning. How many times have you prayed for God to take away your pain and suffering? To deliver you from the trials and troubles that you're facing. Or for an escape from the temptations that smother you, leaving you with guilt and shame when we are overcome. Like the writer of the song, we wish that God would answer our requests sooner rather than later. Only to begin to question our faith and His promises when it seems like the answer is just out of our reach or we just hear silence. Instead, we continue to feel the struggle of trying to live faithfully to the commands of His Word. And we, we want to trust in His promises, but yet despair, depression, and even desperation can overwhelm us, causing us to doubt God's Word and doubt His character and His love for us. Well, what struck me about this song that day was the last two stanzas where the rider finally cries out, Lord, why is this? Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Father, will when you stop this? Is this going to continue? This is going to be the death of me, is essentially what he's saying here. And I think the rider captures the purposes of God that is found in Scripture when he writes, Tis in this way, the Lord reply, I answer prayer for grace and faith. The prayer that God answers is a prayer for grace and faith. He goes on to write these inward trials speaking for God. These inward trials I employ, the suffering, the pain, the temptations that I'm calling you to endure. He's saying I am sovereignly using these. Why? From self and pride to set you free. And to break thy schemes of earthly joys, that thou mayest find thine all in me. And I think that's so apropos for today. Why do we have this pandemic? Why do we have 
these types of disasters? Why do we struggle through all of this pain and suffering? And I, I believe it's the same thing that we're seeing here with Jesus and even in the situation today. It's that we may be uh, broken from self and pride and the earthly joys that we pursue instead of pursuing Christ and so that we may find all of our dependence on him. You see, that is what God wants for his children, for us to fully rely on him for the comfort, to strengthen our faith and to draw us closer to himself. And this can only happen when we are entirely dependent upon him. Testings, temptations, trials, and trespasses, they all serve to drive us to God. And I pray this morning, are you being driven to God? Testings, temptations, trials, trespasses, these are the crucibles of the Christian life. They're designed to expose the false gods of our heart and to lead us to repentance, confession, and a renewed commitment. Even today, we are looking to scientists and medical experts and economic experts to tell us what is going to be the new normal. And it's confusion. Different voices saying different things, competing for our attention. And that's what the world is each and every day. I believe that our prayers would be much more fruitful if you and I were to pray for more grace and more faith. More grace to endure our suffering when God says no. As Peter said, or Paul was, was spoken to, Paul asked, Lord, deliver me from this thorn of the flesh. Three times, he says, I cried out, I pray. And Jesus said, no, my grace is sufficient. So many times, God's sovereign choice is for you and I to endure for a season. Suffering, trespasses, tribulations and temptations. So we need more grace and more faith. And the faith is to trust and be confident that God is faithful in his promises and that he will work all things for his glory and our good. So far in our study of chapter 4, we have considered two things about the temptation of Christ. So we have been spending some time, we're going to spend around four weeks on this passage and kind of think of it as a pie or maybe a slice of an, an apple. And what I'm trying to do is to slice it into bite-sized pieces. This is a great passage of scripture. Many times we read through it very quickly because it, we were very familiar with it. But I believe there is so much packed in here that we need to understand it completely. So I, I've attempted to slice it, so to speak, into four slices so that you and I may bite of it and be able to, to eat it, understand it, and comprehend it. That first slice that was so important is to understand that God is sovereign over temptations and testings and they serve his purposes. Testings are designed by God to test our character and to draw us close to himself, while temptations are designed by Satan. And they are designed to, to destroy our character and to draw us away from God. The second slice that we looked at last week was that the devil's method of operation in testing and temptation, I should say. And his method of operation is ancient and predictable. His strategy is to offer us false promises and shortcuts to satisfy our appetites and ambition and our need for acknowledgement, acceptance, or value from the world and from others. 
So with it, I want to take the third slice as we continue in Luke chapter 4 in those first 13 verses. And we're going to consider the third slice or the third observation as we now consider as Jesus responds to the devil's offer of food and power and recognition. So with that, Luke chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 and 2a and then join in verse 13. And Jesus, Luke writes, full of this Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for Luke and his writing, his capturing from the eyewitness accounts and from personal accounts the testimony of this time. I pray that we just continue to do the difficult work, but the rewarding work of digging into your word to understand it, to uh, apply it to our lives, to respond to the Spirit's work. We pray that you would do so this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Before we get into how Jesus was able to resist the devil's temptations, I want to observe, observe four facts about the temptations themselves. Number one, you and I need to understand is that everyone will be faced or everyone will face temptation in life. We all are tempted, uh, not maybe every day, but we will face temptation in our life. No one is exempt from the temptations. No one escapes the oppression from demonic forces. No one is given a free pass in the Christian life. And I'm going to be speaking about temptation from a believer's point of view this morning. Even the Christian, the child of God, will face temptation. That is why Peter warns us to be sober-minded and aware of the devil's schemes, as he is like a lion who seeks to devour God's children. We must never think that we are above temptation or that we have reached a place in our sanctification that we are so strong in our faith that we are immune to the devil's strategy. Even Jesus was led into the wilderness to face temptation. Next week we'll learn why it was important for Jesus to face temptation. But you and I must understand that all of us will face temptation throughout our lifetime. The second observation is that God is not the one who tempts us to sin. God will use that circumstance to test us, to draw us closer to him, to strengthen our character. Satan is the one who will tempt us. So God does not tempt us. In James chapter 1 verse 13 we read that let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. You see, God does taste, test our faith as James writes in verse 3 of chapter 1. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Instead, we are actually the ones that provide the devil with all that he needs to tempt us. James writes in uh, chapter 1 verse 14 that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And as I mentioned last week, the devil is an astute observer of each and every one of us. In many ways, he knows you and understands you better than you know yourself. He has learned what buttons to push to lead you away from God. The devil is a liar, he's a deceiver and a manipulator. 
And he has, he has had multiple millennia to master his craft and to hone his skills in enticing the children of God to doubt God's love for us, to deny God's goodness towards his children and to disobey his commands. He is subtle and crafty. The scripture disguises or describes him, I should say, as one that disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that he is able to crouch his temptations with promises that seem appealing to the eyes, satisfying to the flesh, and seductive to our pride. So God does not tempt us, but we are tempted by Satan from the material, from the tools that we actually offer him. Number three, is you and I need to understand and recognize that succumbing to temptation, failing to fight temptation, will bring consequences. Succumbing to temptation will bring consequences. You have heard me uh, say, as well as many others over the years, that sin will take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. This is attested by scripture as James warns in chapter 1 verse 15 of his letter, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. The Bible is full of stories of men and women who fell into sin and suffered the consequences of believing the false promises of the devil. Adam and Eve, in disobeying the command to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, has thrown all of humanity into sin. Cain, who gave his into his anger and murdered his brother. David, who took another man's wife and then murdered him. There are many numerous examples in scriptures of children of God who deserted the promises of God and chased after the false promises of Satan. The Hebrew children in the wilderness are great examples of those who constantly fell for the schemes of the devil. Many of us today are living examples of the cost of failing uh, to, or falling to temptations. Our lives are marked by the scars of our choices. Some are physical, some are emotional, mental, and spiritual. Guilt and shame of our past sins have left a mark that still paralyzes us in the outworking of our salvation. And then fourthly, we must remember that being tempted is not sinning. And this is an important distinction to remember. Though undergoing temptation is difficult, it is not a sin if we do not give in to it, if we continue to fight it, deny it. Jesus was tempted, but as we shall see, he does not give in to the devil's schemes. Temptations and testings will be a constant in the Christian life. You may experience great periods of temptation followed by a season of peace. In any case, we are to be aware, ready, and prepared for Satan's evil attempts to draw us away from God. Well, now that we've considered those four general observations about temptation, let's go back now and let's consider Jesus' response to the devil's temptation. The first temptation is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 3. As the devil challenges Jesus to feed his hunger and to satisfy his appetite by turning the stone into bread. Now, this temptation comes when Jesus is hungry after 40 days of fasting. And the devil offers a simple solution. Remember it from last week. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. 
Now, we must remember that Jesus did have the power to do so. Later, he will turn water into wine. So we must ask, why or how is this really a temptation? However, what Satan is doing here is very subtle and misleading. What he is essentially asking Jesus to do is to satisfy his appetite apart from the faithful dependence upon the Father. Rely on yourself rather than the gifts of the Father. Jesus' answer is grounded in the scripture that deals with the Hebrew children that wandered the desert for 40 years. And they're craving for food. They grumble and complain about Yahweh's provision. They sought other avenues to quench their thirst and to satisfy, satisfy their cravings. Jesus responds in verse 4 of Luke 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. To desire food when one is hungry is not sin. But to seek provision outside of God's promises are. To doubt his goodness in providing for his children is a sin. To doubt his promises to take care of his children is a sin. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4.19 that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus will later teach in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. You see it here. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more than they of more value? And then down to verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. From Jesus' response, we learn that we must trust God to provide all that we need in his timing. Yes, you may buy your own food from the money you make working each week. And that check is provided by your employer. You may even grow some of your own food. But all, is that, all of that is the means by which God provides for you. He can take all of that away in a moment, as many of us can attest to in this time. We have seen the livelihoods of many people uh, taken away during this time. Trust that God will provide all that you need. He is subtle in his attack. The second temptation is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 5. As the devil now offers Jesus all the kingdom's of the known inhabited world. If he would only bow down and worship Satan. Again, the temptation is based on a legitimate desire and promise of God that Jesus would one day rule all the world. In Psalms chapter 2, we read this. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessel. So this was a promise from the father given to the son. If you take part in this plan of redemption, here's what you will be offered to you. Here is what I will give you. But what Satan is doing here is he's offering a shortcut 
to this glory that is due to Jesus. Jesus here, if he were to take into this temptation and take this offer, Jesus would not have to suffer at the cross. He would not have to continue to humble himself and live to the whims of man. He would grant him a kingdom right then and there. However, it comes with a very high price. You must bow down and worship me. Doing so would have upended the plan of redemption. And instead of accepting this false promise, Jesus declares in Luke chapter 4 verse 8, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This is the first great commandment, one that Satan refused to obey. Adam rebelled against and dismissed. Uh, this, was dis- this, this first commandment was dismissed by the majority of the human race even to this day. This ambition to replace God with ourselves as the object of our admiration has brought the curse of sin and death to all of humanity. Even God's children struggle with this very temptation of ambition. But we must remember that scripture calls us to worship God and God alone. We are not on the throne. The third temptation now is found in Luke chapter 4 verse 9. As the devil dares Jesus to jump off the temple to prove that he is the son of God and is favored of God. Interesting, the devil uses scripture in this last temptation himself. However, he uses it out of context, which is the only way in which he knows how to use it. He even omits the part that he does not like as he quotes Psalms 91. This temptation involves acknowledgement or acceptance as the devil dares Jesus to jump off to the temple and to prove that he is the Son of God. If, if you are truly the Son of God, if you're truly favored by God, then God will send angels to rescue you and people will see that and they'll really truly know who you are. However, Jesus responds in Luke chapter 4, verse 12, You shall not put the Lord your God to test. You see, this temptation involved the sin of presumption. That is, taking advantage of God's promise for your own benefit. The Bible reveals that this was a constant attitude of his rebellious chosen people, Israel. They continually tested the patience and goodness of God to the point of judgment as he eventually took away their king, their kingdom, and land, and eventually even their temple. Now you might be wondering, but didn't God say in Malachi 3.10, that to test me when Jesus or God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to test. This is what the Lord says. Test me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. He did. He did say to test him. But that test is by obeying him, trusting in him. Hebrews 3.9, 3, God warns, Do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Now this temptation can find itself when you and I sin, presuming that God will forgive us or presuming on God's grace. We, we cheapen it when we fall in temptation. Well, I can do this sin because I know that if I then confess my sin and God will forgive me. That cheapens that very grace. You're presuming on God's kindness. 
And you and I need to recognize that God's goodness and kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Many times we presume on the goodness and character of God. That is a sin. One of the last uh, notes on two of the three temptations is that in those two temptations, Satan says, if you are the Son of God. I don't know if you caught that as you read it. Now Luke has pointed out already in Luke chapter 3 verse 22 that Jesus' identity as the Son of God is proven by the testimony of both the God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Luke has spent some time in the first three chapters showing the importance and certainty of Jesus' identity through the proclamation of Gabriel and the host of the angels and the words of praise from Elizabeth and the prophecies of Simeon and Anna. These temptations are tied to the Father's affirmation of Jesus' identity. Are you truly the Son of God? Are you truly favored by God? Then let's see if you could resist these offers, these promises, these shortcuts. And as you and I read this passage, you and I can have certainty that Jesus does not take the bait on any of these lures sent his way. He knows his identity. He recognizes the false promises for what they are. And he resists the devil's taunts, promises, and challenges. And that's what you and I need to do. We need to know our identity in Christ we need to recognize the false promises for what they are, the shortcuts for what they are. We need to resist the devil's taunts, his promises, and his challenges. The end of the passage states clearly that when the devil had ended every temptation, he, did, he departed from him until an opportune time. And the New Testament tells us the same thing. Resist the devil and he will flee. Will he return? Yes, he will look for more opportunities. The Bible has promised us that when we resist him, he will flee. Now, I want to get in as we look and see how Jesus did this. Jesus resists the devil's attempts through three important strengths. So write these down. And I want you to consider them during this week. The first is we're going to see that Jesus was able to resist Satan because he was filled with the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. Luke has pointed out that Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit at his baptism. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to face temptation. It is only through the Spirit that we are able to resist Satan's attack. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 5.16... Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. So when you and I are, are resistant temptation, you can be walking in the Spirit, continue to walk in the Spirit. You know that you're not walking in the Spirit when you feel yourself sliding and giving in to that temptation. So you and I must be filled with the Spirit. For one, we must be born again. So we have that Spirit. But like Samson, we still need that Spirit to give us strength for those, those times. So you have a choice to walk in the Spirit and in the power and the guidance of the Spirit. Number two, one that you saw very clearly, it is written is that Luke has already shared with us that Jesus uses Scripture here to resist Satan. 
We already saw that at Jesus at an early age knew and understood Scripture. And again, parents, you need to give this to your children. They need to know and understand Scripture. Begin getting them to memorize Scripture now, to read it. You may recall the, or the incident where Jesus is accidentally left behind in Jerusalem when he was at the age of 12. After searching for him, they find him sitting among the teachers, listening to him, asking, him question, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus spoke as one who had authority. He had scriptures at his fingertips and in his heart and in his tongue. He uses scripture to resist Satan, to understand when Satan was misusing and taking scripture out of context. Several verses later, Luke writes that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. To paraphrase 2 Timothy 3.16, Scripture is profitable to tell us what is right. And that's what you and I need to know, is what is right, what is doctrine. We need to, it's profitable to tell us what is wrong, what is immoral and unethical. But it also tells us how to get right and how to stay right. So the Bible is God's weapon for us, the sword of the Spirit. It's the same as we, as we take in that whole battle. We need Scripture to fight Satan. This is why David proclaims in Psalms 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's God's word deep in your hearts. Are you able to apply scripture when you see that your appetites and your ambition and your need for acknowledgement is pulling you away from God? Are you able to bring scripture to mind to use it against the Satan? Let me give you a little side note. Be careful when someone uses scripture out of context or tries to manipulate it to serve their own purposes. There are many false teachers and false prophets and false preachers out there. Theologian Walter Leefield says, uh, writes this, the mere use of the Bible words does not necessarily convey the will of God. And many times people, Satan, will use people to tempt you by taking the words of God. And that's what Satan did with Adam and Eve. Did God say? That's what he's doing with Christ. He omits, he manipulates. Still being used today to, uh, to bring us to decisions that we know are not proper. So Jesus is filled with the Spirit. He uses Scripture to resist. And the third way that we see that he resists Satan is that he submits to the Father's plan. He submits to the Father's plan. Jesus is not interested in any shortcuts or false promises. He knows exactly what his purpose was. He was the prince that would slay the dragon. He is the Messiah, the redeemer of God's children, the king who will rule in righteousness and bring judgment. He knows that he was born to die, to suffer for us. He declared to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion in John chapter 14, verse 31. I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus did the Father's will, not his own. You remember at the prayer of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will. That's in the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
No one, no other plan, no shortcuts, no false promises can divert Jesus from God's plan nor keep him from his divine appointment to offer himself up as our sacrificial substitute. To God be the glory. This is shown in his prayer that's found in John chapter 17 in the first five verses where Jesus prays, The Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know that you are the true God and Jesus Christ whom you you have sent. I have glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now father glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus was able to resist the temptations of Satan by being filled with the spirit, by using scripture and submitting himself to the father's plan and will for his life. You and I need the same. You and I need to recognize that he has created us to be his workmanship for good works, that he's ordained for us beforehand. He has called us to do the will of the Father, to submit to that. Some of you are struggling in your temptations because you are still struggling with God's plan for your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness Then all these things, speaking of our appetites, our ambitions, and our acknowledgement, our need of acknowledgement, those that are legitimate, I should say, will be added to you. So what do you and I do with this? Jesus was able to resist Satan. But you and I are not Jesus. We're not the Son of God. We fall, we stumble, and like the dog, we return to our own vomit time and time again like to leave you with three action steps in your fight against sin. You're not Jesus, nor am I. We will face temptation every day, but you and I must understand we're still called to resist in the fight. And I I, I think what I'm going to give you is these three things are so important. And it's the opposite of what you and I do. Because typically when, when we are being tempted and we recognize, many times we don't even recognize it, when we become aware of it, and that's what I want you to see from last week, you need to be aware of temptation and the testings that are coming. We look within ourselves. We try to conjure up the faith that, that we believe that we can be strong enough, that if I can, I can be stronger and more intelligent, more creative, then I can resist this. And what happens is we fail. Temptation is like a, a wall. It's like the ocean that continually crashes at the wall of rock and eventually is carving out a cave or it's even like that little river that winds its way and is breaking new ground or the rock that just drips or the water that drips on stone and creates the crevice. Our lives are like that. Our our lives are pockmarked with sin because our failing temptation. I believe because we're looking to the wrong place. So three ways that you and I can can become better at resisting Satan and using the tools that God has given us. Number one is we need to look to the Spirit. The Spirit is our helper. It's our counselor. It's our guide in this Christian journey. Jesus tells us that the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You and I need conviction of sin. 
We need to hate sin. We need to understand sin is. And the Spirit is the one who comes in and empowers us, strengthens us, illuminates our mind and hearts with the gospel so that we may be prepared to do battle. The Apostle Paul instructs the church of Ephesus that after putting on the whole armor of God that they should be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And that to that end to keep alert with all perseverance. But we can only do that as we're looking to that power source. Many of us are fighting sin and fighting Satan, living our Christian lives, our profession of faith, without the power source. It's like we're leaving it at home. Or we have our armor on, but it's loosely fitted. Or not understanding how to use it correctly. We must look to the Spirit. Number two, we need to look to the Father. We need to look to the Father as Jesus did. As we shared two weeks ago, you and I must understand that both testings and temptations are ordained by God and serve His sovereign purposes. So whatever temptation you are facing, it is also a testing from God. Recall that, remember that, bring that back to your memory. And recognize that, oh, you know what, I I can turn towards God the Father, for He's trying to do something positive in my life. Many times we're just looking at the negative. Recognize that. Understanding that, Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not in temptation, deliver us from evil. That should be our constant prayer. Father, deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not in temptation, but if so, give us more grace and faith. That is the prayer that you should I pray for. Yes, deliverance, yes. But more so, Lord, give me the grace to endure. Give me the, the faith, the strength to continue. The Apostle Paul also tells us to remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Find that in your Bible and circle that. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he'll provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So look to the Father. Where is that escape hatch? Where is that window? Father, bring the openings. Help me to resist this. So look to the Father. Look to the Spirit. And thirdly, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. We'll see a little bit more about this next week. But Jesus is our example. He's the pattern of how you and I should live our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, the apostle writes, for to, you, or excuse me, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you may follow in his steps. Jesus defeated Satan. He resisted him. God has given us the power to do so. Look to the Spirit, look to the Father, and look to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, after giving us that that, uh, hall of faith, so the hero hall of faith, so to speak, of all those men and women that that pleased God because they trusted in Him. He says this in chapter 12, verse 1. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, speaking of those who went, came before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You and I need to lay that away. Leave it aside. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is swept before us. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, in verse 3, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Brother, sister in Christ, are you growing weary? Is your heart fainting from the difficulty, from the struggles, from the suffering, from the temptations? Look to the Spirit. Look to the Father. Look to Jesus. I call you this morning to just take a moment to pause, to consider this temptation of Christ, how he resisted, how he fought against, how he used Scripture. Would you pray and ask God to give you the strength to do so? To bring those tools to bear, to sharpen the tools in your toolbox, to help you to read and meditate on Scripture, to pray right, to do those things that God has called you to do, to walk more in the Spirit, and then to look to the Father, to the Spirit, and to Christ. And would you respond to what the Spirit is calling to you this morning? Our closing words are found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, where he writes, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Do all that you can. Fight sin continually. Never give in. Resist. And God will see you through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Give us the strength to look to you, to look to Christ, and to look to the Spirit. Enable us to use the tools that you've given us, Lord, that we may be drawn closer to you and grow in our faith. Thank you so much for all that you've given us. Make us sufficient, we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Next week, we're going to close out this passage by answering several questions about Jesus and temptations. Why, why was Jesus tempted? Could Jesus sin? Uh, were the temptations real? So we're going to take that last slide of the apple, so to speak, and we're trying to, going to put it all together that we may give God the glory. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.